In this edition of Pinewood Radio. Our previous podcast, we looked at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we talked about how preparation goes further than commitment. I encourage you to go back, give it a listen. I believe it'll bless you. Next message is going to be on the resurrection of Jesus. It's Easter. And I encourage you to join us at the Fox Theater, April 21st at 10 a.m. It's going to be a celebration on the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. This message, we're talking about the trial before the crowds with Pilate. And we're going to be talking about Jesus and Barabbas. Who is Barabbas? And why would the life of Barabbas even matter to me? How does the life of Barabbas demonstrate God's love for the world? I believe this message is going to encourage you. God bless. Thank you for joining the Pinewood Church Podcast. We hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you fresh perspective on how God is moving in your life. For more information, visit us at pinewoodboulder.com. Enjoy the message. So Holy Week consists of today, Palm Sunday, leading up to Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus. But since we aren't having a week-long revival service to cover every moment of every day leading up, which would be cool, maybe next year, a week-long revival? Who's in? Who's coming today? Week-long revival? All right. Three of you. Maybe we'll reconsider. Maybe our living room. I don't know. We'll talk. We'll talk. But what we've done is we've looked at moments leading up to the cross. We started with the triumphal entry. So I'm going to say this. This may sound uh, a little bit confusing, but today is Palm Sunday. It is Palm Sunday. But we preached Palm Sunday three weeks ago. So if that's confusing, just straighten it out. We had Palm Sunday three weeks ago. We, we talked about the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ as he came into Jerusalem. We also looked at the Passover meal and what that represents and what that means. And last weekend, we heard a powerful message by the Brandon Samples on the Garden of Gethsemane. Preparation goes further than commitment. That was a powerful word. I encourage you to go back and listen to it if you missed it. And so tonight, we're continuing those talks and we're talking about the trial and the crucifixion. The trial and the crucifixion found in Matthew 27. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. Matthew 27. Something that we tell our kids a lot is that we love them. Seems pretty basic, right? You should probably do that. As a parent, you should probably tell your kids on the regular, I love you. But we, we take it one step further than I love you. We say, I love you this much. Like, Come on, you can do better than that. No, we say, we, I love you this much. This is how much I love you. I love my kids this much. All the parents in the room say, amen. I love you. I love my kids more than I love you. Amen. That's okay. You, I think we can have that understanding together. But we say, how much do you love me? We ask our kids that. How much do you love me? And they say, this much? And we're like, no, this much? This much? They're saying, we love you forever, and we love you always. Meaning there is no, no end to our love, and always there's nothing that you could ever do that would make me love you any less. I will always love you, and I'll love you forever. And there's someone else that had this same kind of a love, and it's our Heavenly Father. We see that love in John 3.16. It's a familiar text. It's for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son into the world, and that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but that they would have everlasting life. You know, when you read that verse, God's sending his son 
it sounds like, oh, that sounds awesome. He sent his son. But when you actually unpack the details of what he sent his son to accomplish, it's like, wow, that is a serious kind of love. It's an incredible, profound kind of a love. And so tonight, I want us to unpack that love. What was Jesus' mission? What was his assignment when he was sent down to this earth to fulfill? Matthew 27, we're going to read the first few texts together if you're there. Starting in verse 11 and continuing in verse 26. We're going to have the uh, words on the screen as well. And if you're here and you don't have a Bible, we want to get you a Bible. We believe that God's Word is alive, that you could sit down with God's Word, open it anywhere, and that it would speak to you and change your life. So we want to give you a Bible for free in the back at the coffee table. If at any point you want to make it look like you're getting up and getting coffee and snag a Bible, go right ahead. It's completely fine. We, we promote that. Do that. Go grab your Bible. Matthew 27, starting in verse 11, it says this. Now Jesus stood before the governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. Jesus answered, you say so. While he was being accused by the chief elders, priests and elders, he didn't answer. Then Pilate said to him, don't you hear how much they are testifying against you? But he didn't answer him. Not even one charge. So that the governor was quite amazed. Let's pray before we dive into the, the, the message tonight. God, we ask that your spirit would be the teacher, uh, that uh, it would be nothing but a delivery of what you intended for uh, us to hear, Father. We know that your word is alive and it's active. We know that it is sharper than a two-edged sword and that it can pierce to the bone and the marrow of who we are and it can change and transform our lives. So, Father, we know your spirit is present for where two or three are gathered, there you are in the midst of them, Father. We know your spirit is here. And so, Father, we ask that your spirit would move. Uh, touch somebody tonight that we would leave better than we came with more hope, knowing more of your love for us and having put our faith and trust in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before I unpack this scene, this text, I want to set the scene of what happened just prior to this. So last weekend we talked about the Garden of Gethsemane. You had Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. And then he pulled away, and there were a few more. And then he pulled away to be alone. And they had this scene where he's alone with God, praying. Shortly after, that night, there's some people that come to arrest him. We see the high priest is there. We see some chief priests, some elders, some scribes. We see some soldiers. And we see one disciple who is the betrayer, Judas. And they come, and they arrest Jesus. And as they arrest Jesus, they take him before the Sanhedrin, the courts, where there's these people all around him that are have, they're having false accusations towards him. They're spitting in his face. They're slapping him. At one point in the night, the scripture actually says that they blindfolded him, punched him in the face and said, prophesy. Who was it that hit you? So I want to demonstrate that tonight. Julian, if you would come up. <laughs> Julian, if you'll come. <laughs> is, that, is that not fine? 
That's not fine, is it? It's not okay. Why is that not okay? I can tell you right now, this scene where he's arrested and he did nothing, I'd be like, you're not taking me. We're not going down without a fight. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's going to get real if you're going to try to, if you're, if you're coming at me and I didn't do anything. Nevertheless, allow, like getting, being willingly arrested and brought in before all these people that are creating false accusations against me, I'd be saying, hey, I didn't do that. Hey, I didn't do that. That's false. Don't say that. I have eyewitnesses that can say that's not me. But Jesus didn't. He was silent. And then they spit on him, and they punched him. And I can go ahead and tell you right now, you punch me in the face, it's game on. I know, I know. I'm the pastor, and it's like, turn the other cheek. I know it sounds awesome, and I, and I, I will preach that all day long. But you punch me, and there's a good chance something's going down. Jesus, though, Jesus, on the other hand, he sits there. They blindfold him. They have him bound and just punch him. Prophesy. Who was it that hit you? Prophesy. Who was it that hit you? Did Jesus know who hit him? Of course. Could Jesus have snapped his fingers and everybody just, poof, hit the ground? Game over. Jesus, done with this. Boom. Everybody down. He's like, all right, chill. What's wrong with you guys? That's not what he did. He was beaten, and he was abused. I just want just this scene to set in for just a second, and just soak in what, what happened to Jesus just before he goes to Pilate. Because if you think that was bad, it's about to get worse. There are three specific accusations. There's three specific things that happen to Jesus Actions against Jesus that I want to unpack in this next section and in this next text. The first is that we see that he was accused by the priests. We see that right here in the text. While he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, he didn't answer. This is before Pilate. And this is what it says. He says, then Pilate said to him, don't you hear how they are testifying against you? So Jesus is sitting there, crowds before Pilate, before scribes, the, the elders, the chief priests, the high priests. And they're kind of an him, and he doesn't say a word. But he didn't answer him, not even on one charge, so that the governor was quite amazed. You may be asking yourself, who is Pilate? Why does this guy think he has any authority? Well, he's actually the governor. He has a lot of authority at the time. He's the governor over to Rome, and the elders and the scribes, they knew that they could not put a death penalty on Jesus. So the night before, they, while they were having their fun, they're accusing him of all manner of blasphemy. They're full of hatred, full of anger. Why? Why, why were they so angry? This is a question I thought. What was it about them that would just cause so much hatred and anger towards Jesus? I'll tell you, it was these, these three things. Because Jesus came at their status tested their status. They liked their status. He tested their money and their power. And Jesus, obviously, he had all, th- all of these things. He had the fame. He never needed money. And they, and, they, and they felt fear over that. Like, who is this claiming to be king that's going to ruin these things for us? 
They were not as high and mighty following the letter of the law as one might think. No, 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 no. They saw status, money, and power. And so because of these three things, they brought about unthinkable violence towards Jesus. They would stop at nothing to see Jesus die this night. So they're bringing him before Pilate, but they, they know they're smart. They can't bring the accusations that he's blasphemous because Pilate's going to say that has nothing to do with Rome. You deal with him the way you deal with him. So what did they do? They lied. Something they were very good at. And what did they come before Pilate and lie about Jesus? First, they said that he was inciting riots. Jesus, he was inciting riots. One of the accusations that the chief priest brought before Pilate. You're going to have to stop him. He's causing riots in the streets. He's inciting violence. The next was that they thought that they were accusing Jesus, that Jesus was going around telling people not to pay taxes. So they were coming at the money again. Obviously, that's not going to fly with Pilate. How's he going to pay to build stuff? How's he going to pay to advance wars? And then the third and final thing was they accused Jesus of claiming to be king, which obviously would rub the governor the wrong way. They're like, what are you talking about? You king? You think you're king? And they were all lies. Well, except for that last one. He was a king. But not like Pilate thought. And so here... You, you see in the text that they're coming at him about these, ac- these accusations. And Pilate, if you, if you read this story in all the gospel accounts, you can see this account in all the gospels. Pilate a- starts asking him some questions, and, and he's trying to figure out, how can I, how can I charge this man? Let me, I'm going to see if I can find something against him. So he tried to talk to Jesus countless times over and over again, like, speak up, like, like tell me what you feel about this and what you say about this. And, and Jesus kept, he was silent. And this is really interesting to me. If you, you see that he was silent as they took him. He was silent in the Sanhedrin, and now he's silent on stage, and he is teaching. Like, how is he teaching? He's not saying anything. Jesus was brilliant. Jesus could teach in his actions. Jesus could teach with his words. Jesus was so good, he could teach in his silence. Jesus is fulfilling prophecy in his silence. In Isaiah 53, 7, it says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Oppressed, afflicted, did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shears, he did not open his mouth. I think this is incredibly heavy to take in for us tonight. I don't want to rush through the content and not feel the weight of what we're talking about. This is Jesus, sinless, son of God, perfect, healer, raised people to, dead people to life, Jesus. Never done a thing wrong in his life, 100% obedient to the will of God. False accusations by chief priests. Pious religion can do a pretty significant amount of harm, can it not? 
They knew of him. They didn't know him. They for sure didn't know what was coming next. Next we see was rejected by the people. Let's read on together. If you have your Bibles or if you want to follow along behind me, it says, At the festival, the governor's custom was to release the crowd to the crowd a prisoner they wanted. At that time, they wanted an, they, at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who is it you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was because of envy that they had handed him over. Pilate's not dumb. Pilate sees exactly what's happening here. But he also, I'm going to continue reading on, but he also knows he's got to keep everybody happy. If he makes everybody mad, what are they going to do? They're going to send word to Herod, Caesar. They're going to get him in trouble. And guess what that's going to cause? Maybe him to lose his own status, money, and power. So even though he knows Envy's the problem. He's thinking, all right, how can I? He's a politician. How can I just, how can I make everything okay? Move this along. While he was sitting on the judge's bench, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man. For today, I've suffered terribly in a dream because of him. So while Pilate has turned his back and he's listening to this message from his wife, listen to what happens. The chief priests and the elders, however, persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to execute Jesus. The governor asked them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? Barabbas, they answered. Pilate asked them, what should I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all answered, crucify him. Then he said, why? What has he done wrong? But they kept shouting all the more. Crucify him. You see, at the time, it was customary at the Passover for them to bring a notorious thief, someone who's on death row, to the front and, and almost as an act or a show of mercy, release someone as a, as a, as a pardon. And so he said, this is the good time. I'm going to bring before Jesus and Barabbas. And I'm going to let them choose. All the while, he's trying to figure out, how can I make a decision without really not making a decision? He's got that, you know, his wife in the back of his head. I don't know if any of you men have ever, have your wife in your back of your head. You're like, okay, how can, I need to figure out the right thing to do here because I'm, I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. She's telling me this. The people are shouting me this. And so he's like, I got it. I'll let them choose. That way the blood's on their hands. So he brings Barabbas and Jesus. Something interesting about Barabbas is that Barabbas is actually not his name. You may not have ever heard that before, but Barabbas is actually a title. And it's formed on two Hebrew words. Bar, meaning son of, and Abba, or Abbas, meaning the father. So this is actually a title. If you look at your footnotes, if you have your Bible, there's a, a little footnote attached to it. And if you scroll down to the bottom of your Bible, it'll actually say Jesus Barabbas. Interesting? Isn't that interesting? So what you had, the picture that you have here is you have Jesus, Son of the Heavenly Father, Jesus, Son of God, 
Jesus the Christ, Jesus Messiah on the stage. And then here Pilate brings out Barabbas, Jesus Barabbas, or Jesus, son of the father, the earthly father, on the other side of the stage. And he's calling out to the people, who, who would you, who would you want to release to go free? And who do you want to crucify? And in unison, persuaded by the chief priests, everyone yells, give us Barabbas. And then in return to Jesus, they shout back, crucify him, crucify Jesus. You have Barabbas, who is a picture of just the total depravity of humanity. And here you have Jesus, the Son of God, sinless, perfectly obedient in all of his ways. Never sin. The perfect lamb. There's a word uh, or, or a phrase, I guess, is the substitutionary atonement. And this is, this is what's happening here. So, so I, I, I want to ask you, and I just want you to think about this. I want you to ponder this in your hearts for a second. Who is Barabbas? Yes, a thug. Scriptures say he was a murderer, a robber, an insurrectionist, a notorious, notorious thug at that. But I want you to think a little bit deeper. Who is Barabbas? Barabbas is you. Barabbas is me. You may be sitting there and you're thinking, well, I'm not as bad as Barabbas. I haven't ever killed anybody. But if that's the case, then I'm afraid to say that you, you may not understand the weight of your own sin. What does the Bible say? Sin equals death. So it doesn't matter. I mean, you, yeah, you may have murdered somebody. Those consequences may be greater, but are, are there levels of sin? Like, I don't really do the bad sins. No. You're Barabbas. I'm Barabbas. I can imagine Barabbas in that moment when, when he was brought out, people chanting his name. He goes and he looks over and he sees Jesus. And they shout, give us Barabbas, and they're shouting, crucify Jesus. I, mean, I can imagine he's thinking that the people are setting him free. But it wasn't the people that set him free. It was the love of the Father. Why? For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son. It wasn't the people that set him free. It was the love of the Father. I can imagine in that moment, God looking down and saying, Barabbas, I love you this much that I'm willing to send my son to take your place. Did Barabbas deserve the cross? Yeah. yeah. So do we. We, that, we deserve the cross. I can imagine... You know, Barabbas looking over and the chains 
coming undone on his wrists and on his feet. You know, and we don't know. We don't know. We don't, from the text, we don't see that Barabbas ever had any remorse. I mean, he may have dropped down and he said, yeah, like, free, forget you. Who are you? But Jesus was still going to the cross for him. Unconditional love. But I can imagine looking over at Jesus and follows Barabbas and saying, no, 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 no. You've done nothing wrong. I've done everything wrong. I deserve this. Set him free, not me. And Jesus, after being beat on, spit on, punched in the face, Jesus looks over at him, blood trickling down, bruised eyes, and he says, no, son, I got this. This is on me. And you have Barabbas locking eyes with Jesus and saying, you can't go through with this. Stop. Let me take the price for my sin. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In that moment, Jesus is looking at Barabbas, and it could have been the whole world. And he said, I'm dying for Barabbas. I'm not dying for that murder. I'm not dying for the things you rob. I'm dying for the weight of your sin from your life, past, present, future. I'm dying for the sins of the world. Barabbas, as Jesus looks at him, he says, I love you this much. You wonder why the pain was so great? I think about this all the time. As I, as I recounted this story all week, over and over and over again, I was like, why did he, have, why, the, why the blindfold? Couldn't he just cut that out of the equation? Why the spitting on the face? Well, we, we, we don't see, we're not going to talk about what happened after this, but he, go, he goes on to get flogged, meaning that they, they took a cat of nine tails around his back, and they, which, nine, it's, it's this hook on on this whip that goes around his back, and when it is pulled, it shreds his skin off. And they, they, they give you 39 lashes. They say that 40 will kill you. 39 of these. And then they put a robe over his back. And then they take the robe off. And then they put a crown of thorns on his head. I think, why all of this? I mean, the cross would have been bad enough. You ever thought that? If you want to understand how much God hates sin, look at the suffering of his son. That's what I want you to feel the weight of tonight. You may be saying, yeah, but, but I'm not that bad. But we're all sinners. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 You may be here and you may be saying, listen, like I understand that Jesus, Jesus went to the cross. And, and, you know, I recognize that. And I even would say that I believe in that. And, but there's some things going on in my life that I'm trying to work out. There's some things going on in my life that I'm trying to pull myself out of. There's some hurt I'm trying to heal from. There's some addiction that I'm trying to overcome. 
And if I just work a little harder, if I just discipline myself a little bit more, if I read the right books, just maybe, just maybe I'll break free. I want to tell you today that you don't stand a chance apart from the blood of Jesus. The power of sin on your life and the gates of hell, you are no match for the enemy. But guess who is? Jesus. When he went to the cross, he said, I'm going to take every sin, every piece of guilt, every piece of shame. I'm going to take that addiction. I'm going to take that depression. I'm going to take that anxiety. I'm going to take that broken marriage. I'm going to take it on my shoulders, and I'm going to go to a cross, and I'm going to die for you. Why? So that we can live in his life when he was raised from the dead and have victory over sin and victory over death. Why then? Why then do we want to say, I can do this? Shall we deny his death? I want to encourage you today. Think about Jesus. This isn't a mythical character. He was a human that walked this earth, fully man, fully God, with a mission and a purpose and an assignment. And it was to live an obedient, perfect, sinless life, the life that you and I could not live, to go to a cross, fulfilling prophecy all the way, every step of the journey, Dying for our sins, the weight of the sins of the world on his shoulders, Christ died. And then on the third day, he was raised to life. I love this third part. This is the last part, and we're, we're, uh, we're closing. It says this, when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that a riot was starting, to in, in, starting instead... He took some water, washed his hands from the front of the crowd, and said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. All the people answered, His blood be on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, and after having Jesus flogged, handed him over to be crucified. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus conquered sin and death. Next weekend, we're talking about the resurrection. I'm stopping right here. We're going to go in more depth next weekend on his resurrection, what happened. And it's going to be a huge celebration. But today, I want you to feel the weight of the cross. And as you think about the cross, as you think about everything that he endured, I, I, in, my, in your prayer time, I just want you to put yourself at the cross. And look up at Jesus. Hanging between two thieves. Hardly human based on all of the beatings that he endured. And as you look up at Jesus, I want you to hear these words. I love you. This much. Everybody wants to know and be known. Everybody wants to love and be loved. Everybody. It's in us to need that, to desire that. And I want to tell you here today, and I know that there's somebody here that needs to hear this. God loves you. 
God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to endure the cross for you. He sent his one and only son to stand in the gap to be the mediator between man and God. Jesus is the bridge. In his death, in his life, death, burial, and resurrection, he's the bridge between you and a right relationship with God. And I want to encourage you today in these three things. The first is I want you to put your, I want, first is I want you to confess your sins to him today. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess your sin to him today. It doesn't have to be pretty. Make it ugly. Confess the things you don't confess to nobody else. He can handle it. He can handle it. Confess your sins to him today, and he'll forgive your sins. The second is to put your faith in him today. If you confess Jesus with your mouth, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God had raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what the Bible says in Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. What does that mean? It's putting your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. It's not only saying that I believe that you're there, it's saying that I believe in you enough to put my trust in you for my future. I trust you with my heart, with my plans, with my pain. So confess your sins to him, put your faith and your trust in him today. And then the last and final thing is this, walk out in freedom in him today. For freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm in them and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. Jesus will save you. He'll give you hope for eternity, a right relationship with the Father. He will change and transform your life. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things are made new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 And there's somebody here today that needs to make that decision and say, God, I'm going to follow you. I confess my sins. I put my faith and trust in you. And today is the day I'm walking out in freedom. If you're here today and you want to make that decision, in this song of response, we're going to sing a song. I want you to pray that prayer to God. It's between you and God. You're not doing anything for me. This is between you and God. I want you to look to the heavens. I want you to confess them. And then if you want to talk about it, I want you to come find me. Find any of us on the stage. Find anyone wearing a lanyard. And I want you to walk up to him after and say, hey, I'll put my faith in Jesus tonight. Hey, I made Jesus Lord of my life tonight. And guess what? We're going to go crazy. We're going to celebrate. We might even give you a hug. Don't let that freak you out, but we're going to get pumped about it. We love seeing people say yes to Jesus and coming into the family of God. If you would, go ahead now and stand to your feet as we continue in worship. I don't know where you are right now, but wherever you are, I do know that God loves you so much. John 3.16 says, For God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only Son into the world, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but that they would have everlasting life. The story of the gospel message is that we are all sinners, that every single one of us has sinned against a holy God. We've disobeyed his commands, and if we're being honest, we've turned our back on him. But Jesus, while we were yet sinners, died to pay the penalty on our behalf. Scripture says, for the wages of sin is death. We know that our sin equals death. But Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, the sacrifice that should have been ours, equals 
life. That through his death, through his burial and resurrection, we can have life. Not only life, but life to the fullest. And Jesus is offering this free gift of salvation. We know it as grace. Scripture says, for by grace you are saved through faith. This is not of your doing. This is a gift of God. And so God is offering you this gift, this gift of grace. And Scripture says all that we have to do is not earn it, not achieve it, not be a better person, but to put our faith and our trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we see scripture says, if you would repent of your sins, confess Jesus as Lord of your life, you will be saved. And so this is an invitation to you. If you're listening to this and you're listening to our podcast and you want to make Jesus Lord of your life, I just want to invite you right now. Talk to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are. I confess my sin before you and I receive your gift of free grace. By your grace, I'm saved and by your power, I'm set free. If you prayed that prayer, then today you're saved. You're a child of God and I welcome you to the family. We would love to know who you are. We would love to know your name, hear more about your story and walk with you on your spiritual journey. So DM us, let us know who you are. DM us at pinewoodboulder.com on Instagram or Facebook or go to our website, pinewoodboulder.com and send us your contact information. We'd love to reach out to you. And better yet, come meet us face to face. We meet every Sunday at 4.30 at 1925 Glenwood Drive in Boulder, Colorado. We would love to meet you. We'd love to connect you with our community. So we hope to see or hear from you soon. God bless you. Our community at Pinewood Church aims to meet people where they are and point them to Jesus in Boulder and around the world. Thank you for your support. If you would like to further connect with us, you can find out more at pinewoodboulder.com or on any social media platform with the handle at Pinewood Boulder.